Okay, be honest. When you first began to learn about fair trade, did you think that it only applied to coffee, tea, or chocolate? I know it did for me. But when I really began to dive into the ethical industry and learn as much as I could about fair trade enterprises, my mind was blown. Fair trade is really, at its core, about creating opportunities to alleviate poverty in many different industries and communities around the world. Today's episode tackles this very topic and so much more. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Chris Solt, the executive director of the Fairtrade Federation. The Fairtrade Federation is an association that works to elevate and strengthen Fairtrade partners in the United States and Canada. It's part of the larger global Fairtrade movement, and I have wanted to have the Fairtrade Federation on this show ever since I started. So to be able to sit down with Chris was amazing. Also, we discuss in this show, but I wanted to let you know that I am actually going to be a plenary speaker at the Fair Trade Federation Conference in Austin, Texas in March. I could not be more excited and honored to be a part of this incredible conference. If you're in the Austin area and want to travel to the Austin area, you should absolutely come to the conference. There's going to be a massive expo with an incredible amount of fair trade organizations there showing their wares, incredible speakers and breakout sessions, and so much more. You can find out more about how to register at fairtradefederation.org. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Chris. Chris, when I first started this podcast in 2016, I guess you had just joined the Fair Trade Federation not long before that, but I wrote down this list of guests or brands or companies that I knew I wanted to have on the podcast. And here we are, and I am actually getting to check off one of those dream guests. And I went like, I, I could not have imagined that I would ever actually have the Fair Trade Federation on this show. So I'm so honored to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much. Um, the honor is all mine. Um, I yeah, I, I listened to your podcast. As some of our members have been interviewed on your podcast, yeah. and I was like, wow, what. What a great thing that you're doing and had some amazing guests that I got to hear their stories as well. So, yeah, the honor is all mine. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I never tire of hearing the stories of of all these different people. I've always been that kind of person where um, when I was a kid, any new person I met and I love like this is going to sound like a weird example, but just just track with me here for a second. (laughs) But when I was in college, like I volunteered in a nursing home um, and I did I visited nursing homes a lot as a kid because my my parents would always take us to nursing homes to to visit. And I have always just loved listening to older or more seasoned in life people tell their stories because and I'm just fascinated by life and fascinated by stories and I think that's part of why I love interviewing these entrepreneurs and these people who have done these amazing things because I just cannot get enough of hearing people who have hearing the stories of people who just have experienced life and the world and I never tire of it so it is just it's a joy for me so um yeah again I'm just I'm so excited to hear your story and so I'm gonna have you do what all my guests do and that's give us the Chris 101 so tell us who you are and how you got to where you are today Wow. Okay. That's quite a blank check. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know. um, And I'm going to take what you said earlier about wanting to or have craving hearing from older and wiser um, people. (laughs) I won't. I'm not that old. (laughs) No, you are Uh, young. You are young. But I'm the same. I'm I'm the same. I love um, I'm always interested in people's stories and Mm -hmm. their origin and what makes them tick, especially those people who like to um, express their values mm-hmm. in everything they do. I, I just crave that as well. So, you know, so thanks. Yeah. So yeah, I, um, I, I feel I had kind of a, a long circuitous path to where I am today. Um, I, uh, yeah, I never really planned on being in this position, but I am just, uh, delighted and honored to be in this role, um, representing an amazing community, but, um, so back to my, my 101, my origin, I <laughs> was, uh, born and raised in 
the great state of Vermont. Um, my father's side of the family is from Ohio. My mom's side of the family is from Maryland. Um, but they met in college in Cincinnati and then didn't like Ohio as much. So they moved to Vermont, had me. Um, this is how far back you wanted me to go. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so, I love yeah. It. And so, um, yeah. So after um, growing up in Ohio and actually um, grew up in Stowe and then moved to Burlington, um, always a musician. My father was uh, my music teacher, um, band director of the school system. That's awesome. So I've I always, didn't know that always about been, you. Yeah, I always have always been a, a musician. Um, so that's kind of in my DNA. What do you play? Um, uh, a lot of different instruments. Um, drums, bass, guitar, keys. Nice. Um, I, I've done a lot of recording engineering. Um, uh, so yeah, so um, was in a band in high school, and and that was that was really a big focus of my life. Um, moved from Vermont um, right before I turned eighteen to Ohio to attend uh, recording studio school. I um, was really so into music. Uh, I didn't want to further my education after high school, and I looked in the back of Rolling Stone magazine and said, "Hey, need to do something, but don't want to go to a college." Um, be a recording engineer in seven short weeks. And there was this little guy with a pair of headphones on in the back of Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> and I said, that's for me. And I went um, and became, I was the top student and they hired me to be a teaching assistant and intern. And um, yeah, this is a recording studio school called the Recording Workshop in Southern Ohio. And um, yeah, I was there um, for about a year. And then um, in that time period I recorded a whole album and did, did a lot of music with a lot of other musicians and ended up moving to Cleveland Ohio yes uh, Cleveland which, yes which uh, I've, I've always um, <laughs> loved my story of growing up in Vermont um, and then emigrating to to Cleveland emigrating which I really I love, it. love to love that city so much I lived there for um, for 27 years and just moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I but, think we've um, talked about this. Yeah. You're a Browns fan, aren't you? Um, or you're not. I'm, I'm, I, I'm I feel neutral. like you and I have talked about this. You're neutral. Yeah, I'm, I'm neutral to, to the NFL teams. in Cleveland. Um, oh. <laughs> but, See, um, I am, I so, am not neutral. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, so once I was in Cleveland, I did music. I was a life sound engineer, got in the music scene. Um, and I did that for many years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, at the same time I, uh, worked in, um, borders, uh, books and music. Yeah. I'm like 94 to 99. I, um, you know, didn't think I was going to be into retail, but I really loved it and um, was able to keep doing music on the side. And um, I got involved in training and development, um, did really well. And I used to open stores for Borders um, and then um, uh, had became a father uh, in 99 and then went to college. Um, so I was a full time, full time stay at home dad during the day, um, full time college student at night. Um, which was just a wonderful experience, wonderful connection with my child. Um, and uh, after college, I, I was was studying to be a teacher in social studies, and I mm. ended up getting a degree in social science. Um, was looking for different positions, doing research, and um, someone said um, to me, oh, you know, I know you're looking for a job, but hey, there's this organization called 10,000 Villages that just opened a store in downtown Cleveland. I think you might be interested in it. I said, no way, not going to do retail again. I'm over with, I'm done with that. Um, but I but I went and talked to them and I was like, oh, that's right. I shopped at a 10,000 Villages store um, on a trip from uh, from basically from Montreal back to Cleveland and stopped in Niagara-on-the-Lake um, and you know went into a gift store and bought a mask from Indonesia and yeah. I still have it to this day uh, I think that was 96 97 something like that yeah and um, so I was like oh I, I you know learned about the mission um, I after uh, and I took the job um, there and was uh, recruited by the home office there at a meeting where we got to meet with a representative from Prokriti, um, a really wonderful group in um, Bangladesh mm. um, that works with 10,000 Villages. They're a member of the World Fair Trade Organization. And from there, um, I was recruited to be uh, work for the home office of 10,000 Villages. And that really was my 
kind of introdu- main introduction to fair trade. Um, and so, yeah, I worked for 10,000 Villages uh, as the regional director for the Northeast of the United States and worked with their um, their contract stores, uh, with they're all individually incorporated as nonprofits and really exciting people. Uh, you know, you mentioned getting to know people and having uh, a lot of great joy with hearing people's stories. That was an incredible honor and joy. Yeah. I met so many amazing people and just... Mm-hmm. Just instantly, I, found, I felt like I found a more of a vocation and the true sense of that term and, and finding kind of a calling. Um, yeah, you know, doing retail and being a musician and all this other stuff and, do, and really being involved in training and development all led me, you know, with borders and whatnot, really led me to think, wow, I, all of these skills can be used in one kind of calling. And yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah, so I ended up doing training and development for um, 10,000 Villages, and I worked there about, I think it was like 11 full years until 2016. And uh, the former executive director of the Fair Trade Federation was a, a good friend of mine who was the buyer for um, 10,000 Villages for India, mm. uh, Renee Bowers, just wonderful, wonderful person and so talented and um she w- became the Fair Trade Federation executive director, uh, I believe, in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and she and I stayed um, in touch and uh, helped. We kind of stayed connected on it because she was starting to build the organization's conferences and events. And she was familiar. I was kind of help, helped um, you know, develop and implement the national conference that 10,000 Villages coordinated every year. So we kind of shared notes and tried to learn from each other's successes. And, and so we got to know each other in that way as well um, as colleagues in different organizations. And they were, uh, the Fair Trade Federation was um, uh, starting a new strategic plan in which they wanted to really focus on member development mm. and hired me to be their director of member education and events. And then uh, about a year after that, um, uh, Renee moved on to the Fair Labor Association and she's doing really great work um, with them. Uh, and then I uh, kind of, uh, the board assigned me the position of at, uh, interim executive director and then was recruited to be the permanent director in the summer of 2017. That is awesome. What so an that's amazing the, story. That's the quick version. <laughs> no, I love it. And I think so often I learned from various entrepreneurs or various people who um, really found their calling kind of, not necessarily, I don't like to say later in life, but just not necessarily like right out of school, like necessarily yeah. what they went for to school for. Um, and they look back and all the little steps along the way, all the little experiences, had they not had this experience or had they not, you know, had this job or how they had they not learned this skill from this position, they wouldn't have had that foundation that ultimately led them to what they're doing now. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, totally agree with that 100 yeah. percent. And and I agree, too. It was a later in life thing for me. Um you know, being a father later in life, not going to college right out of high school, those things were, you know, always interesting benchmarks. You think back uh, yeah. why I decided this or that, but um, all coming together is, is I think, is a gift and it's rare. Um, and so I just feel very grateful, um, you know, for where I am right now and um, that I, I do, you know, kind of look back on the broken road as I like yeah. went through and like, boy, you know, like there are some things that we experience in life when you don't really value them at the time, especially when you're a young person in your 20s and or younger. Um, but they become to be very meaningful and, yeah. and valuable um, later in life. So that I, I agree with it with what you said. Yes. Now, all right. So I want to get into the Fair Trade Federation, and because this is a common, one of the most common questions that I get from people that begin to educate themselves with the sort of ethical space, the ethical community. And I mean, I even for me, before I got into really learning about ethical fashion and ethical, you know, what it meant to purchase with purpose, so to speak. Every time I would hear the the term fair trade, which I was familiar with. I just thought it meant coffee, tea, and chocolate. That was like literally all I thought. I was just like, oh yeah, fair trade coffee, fair trade chocolate, fair trade tea. And that was just sort of, 
I, I just thought it didn't go beyond that. And even then, I didn't necessarily fully understood what that meant. Um, and then obviously, as I began to educate myself and learn more about what fair trade actually was and um, what the guidelines were and that you could buy fair trade furniture and fair trade lighting and fair trade clothing and fair trade shoes and jewelry and all these other categories of you know, products that a consumer might buy, it just, my mind was blown. And so um, would you just kind of explain a little bit, what is the Fair Trade Federation? What do you guys do? Um, You know, what are the guidelines? All that sort of stuff to kind of like when somebody is beginning to learn, what do you tell them? Yeah, boy, that is a great question. And um, I'm glad that you talked about all the different ways um, fair trade can be practiced because that is something that is um, that is important to for consumers to to learn about because there are many different approaches to fair trade. Mm-hmm. It is uh, part of a, a give and take relationship between those that are um, bringing products to market and um, those consumers looking for those um, you know options in so that they can express their values um, as a consumer, um, which we are all taught. Um, from birth um, to consume. Um, and mm-hmm. so having this option is um, sometimes confusing, um, but um, to me it is just, it's, it's the right way to, it's the right way to um, interact with the consumer marketplace. Um, so yeah, so the Fair Trade Federation um, is a, a trade association um, and it strengthens and promotes uh, organizations in the U.S. and Canada fully committed to fair trade. Uh, we're, you know, we view ourselves as part of the global fair trade movement, and in our mission, it's to build equitable and sustainable trading partnerships and create opportunities to alleviate poverty. Mm. So, you know, our community is really diverse, and it's it's just extraordinary. We have wholesalers, we have retailers, we have um, of our wholesalers, they um, have an incredible range of products from uh, Dr. Bronner's um, with soap and personal care products to um, fair trade fashion um, with uh, clothing um, for men and women mm-hmm. and children. There are lots of um, members who have uh, handmade products that are you know, personal accessories, um, toys for children. Um, it's really amazing. Um, also, the the other way we're diverse is uh, different sizes of organizations. Um, we have uh, a, a really large, uh, for us, large uh, organizations that have been around quite a while, like 10,000 Villages and Equal Exchange, um, yeah. uh, to you know, very, very uh, small and emerging um, organizations that are um, uh, a project of... Uh, uh, a nonprofit or a project of a faith community um, or a young uh, social enterprise like one like Fair Anita, um, which yeah. is um, two very hardworking women um, trying to make a, a difference in the world uh, on behalf of uh, their women artisans. Yeah. Um, so we so the Fair Trade Federation um, is a member of the World Fair Trade Organization. Um, as a kind of a network in the U.S. and Canada. And we, we really share the same principles and values. Those are born out of the Fair Trade Charter. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the weeds here uh, about my fair trade jargon, but... Um, no, I think this is super helpful. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that's okay to keep going. Yes, please. Because uh, I'm even yeah. learning stuff. I'm like, wait, what's the Fair Trade Charter? Yeah, I don't know what this yeah. is. <laughs> I just You can just look up Fair Trade. Any, any You or your listeners can look up Fair Trade Charter um, online and... That's a document that was created to try to have like an anchor to all of our our values to define what fair trade is uh, in the charter. Um, it um, and and I can say let me, let me see the the vision of the charter that the Fair Trade Federation shares. Um, it's a vision of a world in which justice, equity, and sustainable development are at the heart of trade structures and practices, so that everyone through their work can maintain a decent and dignified livelihood. Mm. Right? I mean, it's just, it, it seems like 
the right thing to do yeah. as as businesses and organizations and entrepreneurs. Like basically so, like the mission statement. It's the it's the heart. It's the yeah. the platform. Exactly. Um, so our um, principles, uh, we have nine and they really form our value system of how our members um, have committed to behaving. Um, and within those, uh, in addition to those nine principles, um, we have developed a code of practice and that goes into the, the very specific details in how our members should behave with respect to each individual uh, principle. The fair trade principles are to create opportunities, develop transparent and accountable relationships, build capacity, promote fair trade, pay promptly and fairly, support safe and empowering working conditions, ensure the rights of children, cultivate environmental stewardship, and to respect cultural identity. Oh, that's an important one. Yeah. That can get it, lost. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, I'd say our, our members um, have committed to a, what they would say is a pretty high bar. They use the term fully committed or, you know, they're, they're really are fair trade enterprises that um, fair trade is at the DNA of what they do, yeah. not just um, in their relationships with the those that make or supply their products or whatever it is they're, they're selling, um, but what they do and how they operate domestically as well. Yeah. So it it's it is um, considered you know a, a, a challenging organization uh, organization to be part of in some ways because it is such a high bar. But that's also the value um, that we have because um, you know when someone buys a product from a fair trade federation member, they can have a high level of assurance that that was not, did not come at the cost of someone's health or dignity. Yes. And really, that's really the core for me. Like if I was to put my consumer hat on, um, good, well, just here, here's a good example. Walk through um, the personal care section of Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. um, good, you know, great store. You know, you can, we could debate that, the, the pros and cons, but you know, in, in the marketplace, they do strive to offer um, products that are of value. But just think about all the different messages that you get. It's confusing, right, to mm -hmm. know like what, what's the full impact. So our members um, uh, pride themselves on um, the value in which is derived from the commitment, the full commitment to having fair trade at the DNA of everything that they do. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that, you know, just like you said, as a consumer is important for you. And that's something that's important for me. And I got to a point and I don't remember. Uh, I don't honestly, I wish it was like a light bulb moment to when it really, really clicked for me in so many ways. I mean, it was a process over time from when um, I've told this story on the podcast before about when I you know, I first visited the Kazuri factory in, yeah, uh, in a, Nairobi. Kenya. Great story. Yes. And so I loved visiting um, that factory and seeing the first, like seeing firsthand the impact that opportunity provided for these amazing women um, who had been dealt just an impossible hand um, in life. And when I, when it began to click for me, um, I, I realized I was like, you know what? Like there is no piece of jewelry there is no pair of shoes, there is no t-shirt to me personally that is worth someone else's life being treated as not worthy, Yeah, if that makes sense, just so I, I can I totally buy that agree. item. Um, yeah. And so that's, yeah, it's, it's so, it's paramount for me. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, our... Another way that our our members are diverse is the 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 people that they work with. Um, you know, it's sometimes challenging to to use language that, uh, and I always aspire to use language to remove other thinking, quote unquote, other thinking, yeah. because you know there's lots of different ways in which um, you know organizations and and companies can express their values through their trading practices, but. Um, you know, when when you get down to it, um, you know, the the I don't know, it's just it's just a uh, 
a profound thing to think about the impact that your purchase has yeah. and the, the, the origin of um, a piece of clothing or jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so the, uh, the, the ways that our members are also diverse, um, as I said, is um, their populations that they work with. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I'm stumbling on my, my speech here because I've got all of these these stories like flooding to no, my, yeah, my brain. Absolutely. Um, so some of our um, some of our members work with um, populations that are very marginalized yeah. in, in different ways. Um, some some of our members work exclusively with women who um, are former sex workers that have been trafficked. Mm. Um, the actual Fair Trade Federation like shirt that we have that with our logo that our team wears and we have our members um, wearing uh, sometimes um, is from Freeset. Yeah, they, they work. Yeah, they're amazing. And they they work. They they literally bought the building on the corner of the red light district um, in Calcutta mm. so that they could be a uh, resource and also a an escape in some ways um, for um, women caught in the um, sex trade. It's just extraordinary to think about an organization that chooses bravery and courage like that to um, to 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 do good. I mean, it's just I get choked up sometimes hearing the stories of of um, some of our members. Um, I was able to travel to um, India and Nepal on a trip with Ten Thousand Villages in two thousand eight. And visited so many amazing um, groups. Um, just I could go on and on. One in particular, um, which was a, a World Fair Trade Organization member and member of Fair Trade Group Nepal called New Saddle. Mm. And they work with in the Kathmandu Valley. They work with um, uh, exclusively with um, a population that has been afflicted by leprosy, which is wow. really just a viral, you know, infection and can be treated pretty cheaply actually. But once you have it. Um, those people are just outcast um, from society. It's seen uh, culturally as they're cursed and it's really, really rough. And so, you know, those types of, um, that type of impact is just hard to put into words sometimes. Yeah. But again, you know, you know that, um, when you purchase something, um, that you are doing the opposite of harming someone, which if you, no, I mean, just walk through Walmart uh, or um, a store and just consider um, consider a T-shirt for $1.99. Um, uh, this was an example that was um, given to us in a presentation by our keynote speaker at our conference last year, um, Nazreen Sheikh. Um, I recommend you go on to the web there. She has done a TED talk and she was, um, just interviewed, um, recently. Um, I can't remember the, the gentleman's name, but he just interviewed, um, Russell Brand. Uh, oh, I know who you're talking about. Oh, uh, Jay Shetty. Yes. Sorry, Jay Shetty. So yeah. anyway, she just gave us this amazing stark example of, of of the mindfulness of supply chains and the mindfulness that that we really need to have as a society, um, you know, when we are purchasing things. Um, so she went into Walmart. Uh, she she was you know as I said she was a speaker at a conference. She went into Walmart um, before she arrived at the conference and walked in and saw. Um, a t-shirt for a dollar ninety nine yeah. and she looked at the tag. She said she started getting sick in her stomach. Um, she looked in the tag and it found and could trace that it was from the same company that she actually was um, basically a, a indentured um, worker um, mm. to it, when she was in Nepal as a child um, and uh, then proceeded to tell uh, everyone her story. Uh, about a letter that she wrote um, to the company, uh, kind of more of a rhetorical letter. Um, I actually, I don't know if it was ever delivered, but she's delivered the letter to different audiences, and it's very, very powerful um, example of uh, the mindfulness that must be, in my mind, must, um, you know, be in the minds of any consumer um, globally. That we really are, um, you know, there there are some 
really great things about globalism and and there's really terrible things about globalism i mean if if there wasn't uh a, you know colonialism uh there are history of of just uh this extreme inequality global inequality that exists yeah. because of that um then globalism would probably be you know everything would be pretty equal right if we yeah. were all in the equal playing fields but fortunately that's not our global history and that you know our our members um really um, fully understand that, and I think that they've made um, a very brave and and not easy, um, or or um, a, uh, sometimes um, affordable <laughs> way to to be a, a business or, yeah. or social enterprise. Yeah. Um, so, but they know that there isn't another choice. Right. So. Right. Now, this is a question I have, and I know you mentioned this. You said that the Fair Trade Federation is part of the larger world. Fair trade organization. For the longest time, I didn't fully understand the difference. Yeah. Um, so, can you just kind of quickly explain, like, what the difference is between the two? I know, obviously, Fair Trade yeah. Federation works in the United States and Canada, but like, how is it differentiated on the whole? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting and unfortunately complex yeah. <laughs> question. But I'll try to frame it um, as simply as I can. So, yeah. um, so the Fair Trade Federation. Um, works with organizations based in the U.S. and Canada, mm -hmm. working globally. Um, the World Fair Trade Organization, it really works globally. Yeah. Um, they do have some members in the U.S. and Canada, but just a few. And we actually, sh they're both members of World Fair Trade Organization and the Fair Trade Federation. Oh, okay. So, yeah, really um, what the Fair Trade Federation doesn't do is we do not verify producer groups. We verify fair trade enterprises based in the U.S. and Canada. Okay. And the WFTO, they have, they, they are um, instrumental in um, verifying the practices of producer groups all over the world. Okay. Um, what is so? It, from, remember, going back to the fair trade charter, um, the fair trade charter, uh, you know, the the kind of core values that we all share, um, says that you're allowed to. Um, utilize uh, the the core values of the fair trade charter in two different ways. Yeah. One is through certification of products through the fair trade international system. Um, if you've seen the kind of green and blue yin yang kind of symbol, yeah, that's fair trade international. They have fair trade Canada and, Can and fair trade America, um, and so um, that they are definitely directly connected. The other charter also says, in, a, in addition to um, the Fairtrade International System, that you can manifest the charter's values through member organizations that have fair trade at the core of their mission of what they do. And that's how the WFTO and FTF are similar. Okay. We So here's a, here's a uh, I think, a good example, uh, and I try to explain the difference between certification and what we do. So um, certification um, is a great tool uh, to certify a supply chain of one commodity from source to consumer. Um, you know, uh, it's it's something that is on one product, right? Like coffee or chocolate um, um, or bananas um, or quinoa. Right. And so it's, you know, it's processed in a central location. It's certain. And, and so the supply chain monitoring can happen on, in kind of a linear fashion. Um, I know that it, it's more complex than that, but that's kind of the, the main way that happens. And then the, cert, the, the license is paid so you can have the logo um, and on that individual product. But a company um, can have a certified product and they can have a non-certified product. They can sell whatever they want and they can have a sort of like, you know, like uh, Starbucks is an example. They sell a very small amount of a certified fair trade coffee. The vast majority is not certified. But of course, they let you know that they sell for fair trade certified coffee. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we think that's a good thing, right? Because whenever there can be accountability across the supply chain, that's always good. Um, and the higher the standard, the better, because there's multiple certifiers and there's different approaches. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so Fair Trade Federation and WFTO, we verify the entire organization not just one product. Okay. So that when an entire organization is verified, you know that everything that they sell must meet those, meet our principles and specifically our code of practice. And just for your listeners that are interested, I'll put in a little plug, you can go to fairtradefederation.org. Our mission, our values, our principles are there. Plus you can download a copy of our 
um, code of practice if you're really, really into all of the details. Um, nothing more that we love uh, somebody that's so interested in us that they would read our code of practice. So <laughs> that's all available to anyone um, on our website. So. Yeah. Now, this is another question that I get all the time, and it's a nuanced one. Um, and I know that you are a little biased because you work for the Fair Trade Federation, but that's okay. Um, I get the question all the time, can something be ethical and not be fair trade? The answer is absolutely. Yeah. Right? So, and it it is a challenging thing to think about. Um, But, um, you know, we we have, you can can go on, like I said, you can go on our website and see pretty quickly, you know, we have pretty pretty high bar and we have eligibility requirements too. So, For example, currently, you know, we have a hundred retail stores. Yeah. Just think of that. A hundred retail stores that have said to us and to themselves and to their communities and to their customers, you know, this is so important that we are going to have this other organization um, verify and tell us basically what what we can purchase. Eighty five percent of all of the products in a sourced in a fair trade federation member store must meet the principles must meet the standard um, otherwise it cannot be sold we do have 15% that you know they can be educational products and and things that are environmentally friendly but it's not like they can just go and um, buy something from and sell it from China or whatever something cheaper that was um, you know and not environmentally friendly right. so it's a very high bar and we have a hundred of them. It's, it's just, um, it's extraordinary to me. Yeah. Um, so, um, it, so basically, you know, it is a high bar, um, but we think it is the right one, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we know that our, our members, uh, and, and, and yes, I am biased. Um, uh, we are, we're passionate about this, Yeah. but absolutely, you know, if, if you think about it this way, I don't know if I'd officially say this, but, but I'd say the, the fair trade movement right now is really a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is somewhat, it, there's always a little bit of discomfort, right? Because we've been using the term fair trade for so long, but you know, we're really okay with that because, um, we have our values and our principles backing up what we do. Um, what is, is sometimes I'd say challenging if somebody just overtly says we're fair trade and they might, maybe they'll meet only one or two of the principles, I, you know, that's better than nothing, certainly. But um, I think it's also a challenge and an opportunity for us to educate our consumers about why it is important that if you're going to, as a, um, a fair trade enterprise, um, use those terms and use that language that having transparency and a, some type of third party or, or official connection to this movement is so essential because if you make a supply chain transparent, watch it change, right? Yes. It's, it's going to change by one way or another. It is going to have to change. Look at all of the, the large multinational companies that have had to change when their trans, when their supply chain was made transparent, usually not by their choosing. Um, you know, uh, Nike's example in the late nineties of the Kathy Lee Gifford yes. sweatshop debacle. Mm. I, I did my master's thesis on that. Oh um, yes. Yeah. And, um, the Rana Plaza tragedy, which is so incredibly yeah. gut wrenching and heart wrenching, you know, jury's still out, but at least there's transparency, you know, um, on that. So, so we feel that, um, transparency built into our organization's values and, and the way in which our members, um, have basically agreed to um, behave is really important. It is also very easy just to say, hey, we're fair trade, we're ethical too. And, you know, that's just the challenge in the marketplace. But, you know, the, going back to what I originally said, yes, absolutely, you can be ethical and not fair trade because our eligibility requirements are very specific. Yeah. There are lots of great organizations and people doing great work that just aren't eligible. Yeah. I mean, it's astounding. There's so much great work. So we think that's a good thing, too. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, I think it's our challenge and, and we have to own it somewhat to do as best a job as we can to explain uh, to customers, both loyal and new um, and potential about 
who we are and what we believe in mm-hmm. and what we have to offer. Um, because we feel very strongly that when people understand that, they are a lifelong convert. How many times I have been on the floor of a fair trade store, somebody walks in and they're like, um, oh, this is a beautiful, you know, you know, scarf or necklace. And then I'll tell them the story of of the person that made it because we kind of know their name right. sometimes. And, yeah. and we know what conditions they made it and, and how it has impacted their community. And they're like, oh, I've driven past this store forever and I didn't even know. And I, now I'm going to shop here for my aunt and for yep. my mom. And, yep. and then they never shop anywhere else. You know, So yep. that that is a very common occurrence. It's a conversion that happens, similar to the story that you tell about the Kazuri um, yeah. workshop. It's like it's like a light switch. Yeah. Doesn't happen with everyone. Um, you know, we're we're in a challenging time in our in our lives and our society right now. We're, we're talking about you know, seriously talking about walls and we're talking about immigrants in a way that is just so antithetical mm-hmm. to what I believe in and what our community believes in by extension of our values. And mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to get everyone, but those that um, are open um, are are. I've seen the conversion happen, and it's just such an incredible joy um, to to do that. Rather than you know sell um, whatever um, at high margin, yeah, um, and an an extractive supply chain, an extractive um, capitalism, um, and then for the you know delight of the shareholders. I mean, that's just not not something I could ever be part of. Yes. Amen to all of that. I could not agree more. And it's just something that I have, you know, it's a learning process. And it's something I tell people all the time, like, you know, when you, when, when people get into learning about fair trade and ethical fashion and purchasing with purpose and all of that. And I just say, guys, it's not, it's not an overnight, just complete restructure of how you purchase things. It's a process and it's beginning to educate your, educate yourself, but then you realize the importance of it and it becomes a ripple effect of you start by just the way you, you purchase gifts during the holidays. And then maybe you then you, you change how you buy your kids clothes and then you change how you buy clothes for yourself and you change, you know, maybe you start recycling more. You, you know, you enter into yeah. the zero waste community and all of those things like it's it is a process. It's it takes time. Um, but the more that you commit to it and the more that you educate yourself, the more of an impact that you have. And you really do have an impact. You really do make a difference. And um, the artisans, these small businesses, they feel it. They feel those purchases. They feel that impact. And it changes lives. It sounds so maybe cliche or, you know, over the top. But yeah. It really does change lives. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And in this case, I would actually say it's not cliche. Um, it, it's usually that's usually a cliche, but yeah. in the context of this conversation, it is it is yeah. quite um, appropriate. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it is it is somewhat. I'd say um, it is somewhat frustrating sometimes now, in because climate change. You know, everything that we do, that things that we can control and things that we can't control, sometimes it can seem so overwhelming you know, all we can do is, is make g- good choices and, and educate ourselves to the impact of those choices. Um, you know, so many of our, um, what we call our food and farm members in particular, um, the, dealing with, uh, like, um, I was having a conversation with Vinay Berta, who's this amazing woman who founded Maggie's Organics and the effect that climate change has had on her supply chain, um, from having to abandon, um, whole, um, areas in countries where, you know, you can't grow cotton anymore. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's gone. It's gone forever. Um, uh, and our, our coffee cooperative, uh, members, and I was talking with somebody from equal exchange and how, and from co-op coffees, uh, how they're very, you know, directly, um, this is not like, a they get a, 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 a harsher than usual storm from now and then it's, it's actually their climate is changing so much that their agricultural, um, patterns have to change because they don't have the choice. So that part is really, you know, overwhelming. Um, but I, I raise it, um, as an example to reinforce what you were saying, which is, you know, make, making choices, um, beyond just what you purchase is also important too, because we are such a consumer focused society. Um, you know, what we do is, is, uh, 
um, you know, it's it, it's an alternative trade uh, model, right? Yeah. Um, it seeks to level the playing field uh, from global inequality and make sure that our our choices don't come at the co- cost of someone else's dignity and their environment. Right. Like I said before, you know, and um, it's it, it but it's 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 much more than that, too, because it's if you really want to do as much good in the world as possible. Um, but we view as you know, we view trade um, as, you know, a vehicle for positive change. You know, it, uh, you know, those that those trading relationships that distribute power, risks and rewards equitably. Good thing. Right. Um, you know, we feel we feel really strongly that trade should be used as a tool um, to reduce inequality and create opportunities. You know, it's not going to solve everything. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm mentioning this now too, because just again, uh, if any of, of your listeners like me are just feeling overwhelmed by our world right now, <laughs> um, trying to, you know, make, make as big an impact as I possibly can. And, um, yeah, so beyond your purchasing decisions have just as much of an impact, um, as what you buy. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Well, in a couple weeks, there is something really exciting happening in Austin, Texas, and that is the 25th annual Fair Trade Federation, or I guess this is the 25th anniversary. Anniversary, yeah. Anniversary mm-hmm. of the Fair Trade Federation, and it's the annual conference. And so that's going to be in Austin, Texas in March. It's the 26th, 27th, 28th. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, March 26th to the 28th yes. um, in Austin, Texas. We're very, very excited. Um, it's the, yeah, 20. So the Fair Trade Federation was founded in 1994. Um, and I, <laughs> we were looking at the uh, last year at our board retreat, we were looking at planning the conference and I was like, oh, that's 25 years. We should maybe celebrate a little bit, right? I mean, just it's astounding to think that this organization, when it was started, by 16 organizations, 12 of which are still members and successful and trading. Um, just it's astounding. And so um, I'm sure that we will acknowledge those amazing people and those organizations. Um, but to think about 16 now to we're um, just under 250 um, members. It's just something that we wanted to, to celebrate. So uh, our annual conference moves um, each year. Last uh, year it was in uh, Westminster, Colorado, just halfway between Denver and Boulder. Um, was so incredibly successful, uh, just uh, hard to describe. It's a professional conference, certainly. We have um, breakout sessions on very specific um, topics like digital strategy, um, supply chain, like value supply chain um, challenges. Um, and best practices to we're uh, trying to um, have a session coming up on gender violence and inequality. So just incredible um, sessions. We have things for retailers. It's just, a, you know, really, really cool. Um, we also have amazing speakers. Um, as I mentioned, Nazreen. Um, we also had Bene Berta tell mm. the origin um, story for Maggie's Organics. And uh, just it has, a, like I said, a feel of a professional conference, but also I get tongue-tied a little bit because it's hard to describe the the like-mindedness of everyone that is there at these conferences because they are attracted to fair trade and to this community. I should really just highlight that you know the Fair Trade Federation. Yes, we we they're trading. We sell products, and and you know we have like I think we have like 65 members exhibiting at New York now. Um, coming up, the big gift show. You know, there you would look at them, and they're these are amazingly sophisticated business people with incredible design, the most beautiful um, textiles and and products. It's it it's mind blowing, but you know we're a community. Um, People that meet um, in these conferences become lifelong friends. Um, you know, just the shared values and vision, and the way in which you behave, and your way as a, a person, the way in which you behave as a a, a group, a community, an organization, a social enterprise, whatever it is, we're already like-minded, and um, it's it's just extraordinary. The, yeah. The the energy um, and the conversations that happen. Um, there's a lot of a great um, 
uh, information on fair trade, especially if you're interested in, in starting a fair trade um, enterprise, whether you're interested in fair trade fashion or if you're interested in agriculture and coffee, um, if you're interested in um, development projects, like there's this amazing organization called Grow Ahead. I, I really recommend that our, your listeners look them up. Um, you know, uh, like it's kind of like a microfinance group for small, um, organic farmers. Yeah. Um, just, uh, so extraordinary and, and they'll, the, we are hoping to have them there as well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of great, um, education information if you're interested, um, in starting, um, some type of fair trade endeavor, if you're interested in retail. Um, we have a retailer seminar. Also, there's the, what we have is the expo. Um, and that's, the only thing of its kind that I know of in the world, really, I'm sure there's something similar that WFTO does, but on this scale, I'd say I, I'm pretty confident this is the only place where you'll find up to 50, you know, fair trade verified um, exhibitors in yeah. one room. Yeah, that's um, that's I am so excited. So I'm going to cool. be there <laughs> in March. So yes, if you guys are yes. in the Austin area or you want to travel to Austin because Austin's just an amazing city, um, we can get tacos. It'll be great. Uh, and you can check out the expo because this part is open to the public. And so you yes, can on, do some shopping. On the 27th. Yes, on yeah, the 27th. Yeah. So what and so it, it's do you need to get tickets for the actual expo like if you're just a consumer you want to come and shop do you need to get tickets or can you just walk in or how does that work if you go to our website uh, fairtradefederation.org and click on the conference um, there will be information about the expo open to the public which is wednesday march 27th from 2 30 to 5 30 this is somewhat new for us we've had we've had our expo kind of open but this we're really making a big splash so um, please join us for that. Um, but yeah, you can find all those details um, on our website. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I am so excited. I'm so pumped to meet all of the people that are going to be there. Um, it's just, it's going to be so much fun. And plus, again, Austin, tacos, all the things. It's going to be great. <laughs> it is going to be great. Um, well, Chris, this has been so much fun. Um, just learning more about you and learning more about the Fair Trade Federation and answering my very, <laughs> my, my questions that I get all the time so that can help me better answer them when I get them. Um, so thank you for that. Um, this is also the part of the show where we transition a little bit and get to know you and we ask just some fun get to know you questions. And okay. as my listeners know, this is also where my husband inserts a sound effect or movie clip or quote of his <laughs> choosing. So you never know what it's going to be. Um, so Chris, are you ready for that? Uh, I think so. <laughs> Not everybody's a winner. Okay. All right. The first question is, what was your favorite TV show to watch growing up? Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Boy, I'd say I'd have to say Star Trek, the original. Yeah. Uh, I'm a sci-fi. Are you talking about like LeVar Burton with the headband over his eyes? Well, that probably dates me a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> watching it, watching the original in syndication, but certainly Next Generation. Yes, absolutely. But uh, I was in my teenage years so, to date myself a little bit. So <laughs> I have a long list. I was a TV junkie kid of the 80s. Um, I love our, it. The four channels that we got. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're like at 10 p.m. The TV turned to the rainbow bars. And oh, yeah. It was exactly. off until morning. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And you had to actually like get up off the couch to go change the channel. Yes. It was oh, a, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was it was a whole thing. Um, <laughs> OK. The second question is, if you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Wow. That is extraordinary as I <laughs> love to cook and I love all sorts of food. Oh, oh. If I had, I mean, I'd have to consider my health too, but <laughs> I, I'd probably say what my wife and I refer to as cowboy breakfast. 
Oh, is that is, with like the the ground beef it, and ha- hash nope. browns? Oh no, no, no. Well, for us, it might be that, but the, in our household, it's um, it's black beans, um, you know, organic eggs, um, cooked however, um, guacamole, um, mm. and rice oh. with salsa and a little sour cream. Um, I'm here for that. I'm gonna yeah, need yeah, and to... hot sauce. So. That, if I had to pick one, that's really rough because, I mean, being stuck with one meal, is that would be challenging. It would be challenging, but that does sound delicious. Not going to lie. I might make that for breakfast for myself tomorrow. <laughs> um, okay. What is your guilty pleasure? Oh, boy. I have a list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, um, I'd have to say I'd have to say beer. I brew my own beer. Ooh, I, nice. I have for 25 years and I... In, when I lived in Cleveland, I actually grew my own hops um, in a little, you know, city garden. Um, I'd have, that's probably if if you I'm trying to think if you ask one of my friends, what would they say? I'd probably say that. So to be to be fully transparent. That's awesome. That's awesome that I am not patient enough to do something like that. So that's awesome. Um, I have a, a friend who is really into brewing her own beer. And I just, am, you know, I'm like, well, I'll I'll taste it. But uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I don't know that I could actually sit and do it. But that's awesome. That sounds like so much fun. Um, OK. And then my last question is, what are you most grateful for today? Oh, boy, that's a that's quite a question. Um, again, I have a long list of things that I'm grateful for. Mm. Um, you know, I guess what I'm most grateful for and I try to be mindful of is, um, the privilege and opportunity that I've been afforded. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm white male in the United States and I would be foolish and lying to myself and others if I would say that I didn't have a tremendous advantage in so many things Mm. that. Um, you know, I can't, I can't change how I was born and who I am, but mindfulness of, of where I am and what I have and how I was, um, afforded the opportunity to be here where I am. Uh, you know, it's, I think that's, that's really, um, been, you know, certainly at at this point in my life, very important. Um, and I think it's also by extension to our society, something, uh, you know, I probably mentioned in this last 30 minutes or so, um, is, is, is really needed. Um, and I just hope that, um, uh, that I, um, am able to be mindful and grateful uh, as, as best I can, because no one's perfect, certainly. Um, and as I said, I hope that, uh, you know, others are um, able to be honest with themselves about about mm-hmm. the privilege that they have. Yeah. So that that's that's what I'm I'm grateful for. Yeah. Well, Chris, that is amazing, and uh, thank you again for sharing your story and sharing the story of the Fair Trade Federation. This has been so much fun, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm I'm so happy to be here. I hope I uh, represented our organization well. You did. Um, I tend, as my members know, I tend to get very passionate and somewhat tongue-tied when I get going. Um, But uh, yeah, just uh, thank you so much for having me on this show. And I wanted to thank you too, because when I first heard your show, I was like, who is this woman, Molly? And how, (laughs) why is she doing this amazing thing? Like, did somebody ask her to do, no one asked her to do this. Um, So thank you for all you're doing um, in trying to, to push the envelope and get other organizations to to behave like we know fair trade federation members uh, yes. feel is is right so yes. thank you for that well it is a ple- it is my pleasure it's an honor and it's just something i'm really passionate about so i appreciate you saying that excellent I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something new that you learned, maybe a fact about fair trade you didn't know before. Whatever it is, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Make sure to tag me, share with your friends, all of that good stuff. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Overcast, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you're subscribed to the show. 
Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. As always, this show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.